Danny J. And I'm Jill Coleman. Welcome to the Best Life Podcast. Here, we talk about everything from success, money, relationships, and entrepreneurship to productivity, honest communication, positive psychology, and how to cultivate an abundance mindset. Make money, travel the world, deepen your relationships, live full out. This is the best life. Danny J. I'm so excited. We have a, a guest today, which, okay, you all know the rules. Um, if you've listened to us for a long time, we always say in order to be on the show, you have to be local, be our friend, and be cool. And unfortunately, because of the pandemic and a lot of things, we're no longer sticking to these rules, apparently, because we have a guest and she's not local. In fact, uh, Paige Pritchard is here. Paige, where are you even from? I'm in Dallas. You're in Dallas. Okay, yeah. cool, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Love it. I used to live in Dallas. So I'm excited to have Paige. Um, Jill's here. So anyway, we're really excited to get into this. Um, I actually received an email from from you, actually. I think yeah. you reached out. Mm-hmm. And Paige talks a little bit, and I'm going to let you kind of go into what you do, but the main theme was overcoming overspending. And I mm. thought this was a really great topic. One of the things... Um, I've done over the years is something called Find the Money Project. And I've seen over the years a lot of um, psychology around money and spending and, and, and all of that stuff. And so I was really excited to talk to you and hear about your story. So why don't you just kind of share a little bit about what you do with our audience and and then maybe even how you got into it. I'm sure there's a story yeah. there. Yeah, there usually is, right? And that's that's definitely the case for me. So yeah, I'm Paige Pritchard. I'm the founder of Overcoming Overspending, which is an online community where I help you stop impulse shopping, overspending, if you struggle with compulsive shopping. So I mean, I really define overspending as just like any spending that you're doing that's to your own detriment. Sometimes that looks like spending more than you have. So yes, certainly sometimes that means you know, you're in debt, you have credit card debt, maybe your bank accounts are in the red, but it could also just be that you use shopping as a coping mechanism. You shop when you're sad, you shop when you're bored, and your shopping is kind of starting to impact other areas of your life. Like you're starting to experience non-financial consequences from your Mm -hmm. shopping. You have a lot of clutter. Your spaces feel really heavy. You're spending a lot of your time shopping and searching for deals and unboxing and returning things. Your relationships are struggling because of your spending habits. So, you know, for marketing purposes, it's you know, overcoming overspending. And a lot of people just think, oh, I don't have a shopping problem or a spending problem because I'm not in debt. But I really define it as just like any spending you're doing against your own good. But you're absolutely right. I do what I do today because when I was in my 20s, I was a full-blown compulsive shopper. My story is... I definitely wouldn't call this like a claim to fame because it's not a good thing. But when I was in my 20s, I impulse shopped through an entire year's salary. I graduated from college, started making $60,000 a year. I sold cars at a Cadillac dealership and they paid me $60,000 a year. And I had $40,000 of student loan debt, had absolutely no savings and decided, okay, I'm going to move back in with my parents. I was moving back to Dallas from my college town. My parents were still here. I was like, I am going to make so much progress this year. I'm going to save up so much money. I'm going to get these loans paid off because I had no expenses, right? I mean, I was like living at home with my parents and then the dealership pretty much paid for everything else. I mean, they gave me a car to drive. They paid for my gas, for my insurance. And, you know, to cut to the chase, I essentially impulse shopped away that entire salary. I mean, it really started as me as with one shopping trip. I remember I spent my entire first paycheck on a new wardrobe because in my head, I had this idea from like, Devil Wears Prada and How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days and 13... Like I had just had this idea in my head of what a corporate girl should look like and how she should dress and present herself. And so I spent my entire first paycheck on a new wardrobe and I was like, okay, I'm done. That's it. But that was really the experience that kind of opened up my shopping vein. And I had kind of always been a spender up until that point, but it wasn't with large sums of money. But after that, it turned into, okay, this is just one shopping trip to 
on my lunch break, multiple times a week, I was going up to the local mall and I would just like very casually just go into, you know, Nordstrom's and J crew and wherever, and just drop like $500 on my lunch break. Like it was just no big deal. And the end of that year came and my mom was like, okay, like time for you to go. And I couldn't even afford a security deposit to move into an apartment. And she's looking at me like, what do you mean you can't afford to move out? Like what, what has been happening this past year? Where is all your money gone? Because the thing about it is that I started to hide my behavior, Mm -hmm. right? Like my parents didn't really even know what was happening because I would hide everything in the car and I wouldn't bring it in until they were asleep. So that was kind of like my wake up moment of being like, okay, I I have to do something to solve this problem or I'm going to be broke the rest of my life. But when I actually went out and started looking for solutions, everything was very surface level and it didn't really address internally why I was shopping. Like to your point, exactly the psychology behind why I was doing it, the emotional pulls of why I was doing it. The advice was just like, unsubscribe from emails, delete your credit card autofill. (laughs) And I'm like, but you that's not going to help me because I know my credit cards by heart. I don't even right. need to be, I don't even need to be getting the email. I'm just like going to go up to the mall and go shopping. And I started to realize like, okay, in order for this to actually work and be successful, there has to be a merge between, you know, I call it like the masculine and the feminine of money, right? Like the black and white mathematical masculine component of money, but also the deeper components of it, of like why I'm actually doing this. Like what are the internal drivers of why I'm shopping and why I'm overspending? And I feel like it was a couple of years ago that I, 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 you know, in, in the beginning, I just talked about all things money, anything money related, I would talk about, but overspending was the one thing that I kept feeling like everyone would come to me almost like in secret in the cracks, Mm -hmm. like in the emails and the DMs being like, Hey, like no one knows about this, but like I'm in $10,000 of credit card debt, or I have this debt that I'm hiding from my partner that they don't know about. Because the truth is, is there's no one out here talking about this, right? There's no one out here talking to people who struggle with their spending habits because people think like spending money is just something that you should inherently know how to do. And I feel like probably within the last five years with the rise of technology, so think like Amazon, just how easy it has become to shop, the rise in social media, just constantly every day, just this lens that we have into other people's lives, which has just taken the level of like comparison that we're doing to a whole new level. And the pandemic, those three things have kind of formed like the perfect storm to where this was already a problem for a lot of people. But I think those three things have really like poured gasoline on an open flame. Mm. And it's something that a lot of people are struggling with that no one is really talking about. And so I was like, listen, I've been there I've been that girl. I know the struggles. I know what it feels like. And I am more than happy to share my story and kind of be that person that goes through the brick wall to help people with this. So that was kind of the birth of overcoming overspending a couple years ago and how I kind of got to where I am today. Whew. That's I know it's, it's a lot. <laughs> no, it's so great to hear your story because you know you mentioned you know shame and embarrassment and some of these things. I mean, this is an addiction, right? It doesn't get treated yeah. like you know, these other addictions like that we see, but it really is. So, you know, as you were talking, you know, and Danny and I, we talk about this quite a bit, this idea, like, and I just would love for you to break this down for someone who's listening. Let's say you are having like a, cause we spend for all sorts of reasons, right? We, like you yeah. mentioned, we spend when we're happy. We also spend as a reward. We spend just, sometimes it just gives you a, a like a, like a stress hit. Like I'm just going to buy this thing yeah. and I all of a sudden feel less anxious. What is ha- what is happening in the brain when we're feeling like I just have to buy something? It doesn't even matter what it is sometimes. Mm-hmm. I just have to buy something. And then what is that doing for us? We don't even care what it is half the time, but what is going on yeah. in our brain when that's happening? Yeah, that's a great question. So essentially, whenever you see something that you want to buy, your brain goes from kind of being in your like prefrontal 
kind of like the human logical future focused part of your brain and you shift into kind of like the downstairs lizard caveman part of your brain. And the biggest thing that starts to happen is like the pleasure systems in our brain start to activate and dopamine actually starts to get released even when you start to think about shopping. And that's the thing about dopamine is dopamine, you know, they call it like the anticipation molecule because yes, you actually do get a hit of dopamine, like when you're swiping the credit card or when you're clicking the, you know, buy now button. But even when you just start to think about like, okay, at the end of today, today has been awful. I'm going to stop at Target on my way home. Like even when you start to like fantasize about shopping, you start to get those releases of dopamine, which then to your point is going to create that that urge that we feel to kind of go shopping. And so you're absolutely right. It is something that is the equivalent of like how we have urges or cravings to eat sugar or drink alcohol or pick up our phones and start scrolling on social media. Shopping in terms of like the psychological reaction that's happening is absolutely no different. And to your point, it absolutely can develop to the point where it does become an addiction. It's just kind of like, you know, alcohol, like in the beginning, it's like you only need one glass of wine to kind of get that buzz and feel good. And Mm -hmm. then it turns into two. And then before you know it, it's like you you have to drink the whole bottle. The same is true with shopping. It just, it, and that was me, right? It just starts as maybe like a little bit lower ticket items, lower amounts. And it really can escalate to a point where you're spending a lot of money, you're shopping on a consistent basis, and it can develop into an addiction. But I will say this it's so true is like people don't take it seriously. It's actually one of the few actual addictions that's not recognized mm-hmm. as a legitimate addiction. And but it it is very much serious. It's kind of like this thing where people joke about it and laugh about it. You see this all the time on social media where people are like, oh haha, my little shopping addiction. But for somebody who is actually in the throes of this, there's nothing funny about it, right? But yeah, I mean it's it's the same thing as like the same reaction we get when we drink wine or eat sugar. It's the exact same thing. It's really interesting too, like what people come to you in secret with, with debt. Cause mm-hmm. I worked with a lot of families getting out of debt and one of my mentors always said debt was a habit. And so even when I help people get out of debt, they would end up, once they kind of hit that goal, it was like they would get back into the habit of spending again. And so ultimately there's gotta be something there to help people break this habit. And one of the things that you said that they say, like delete the emails and that kind of thing. I think those things are helpful because it's like, it's out of sight and it's not in your face, but what are other strategies or maybe you can start sharing the steps you took to get out of where you were to where you are now? Yeah. Yeah. So again, it really kind of started with, there's two, two main components that I focus on a lot. One is mindset and one is emotions. And so I always say like, I always want you to think about money or anything related to money, money, debt, anything like that, kind of like an iceberg, right? Right. You're going to have the part that's sticking up above the water, like the 10 to 20% that you can actually see. That's the numbers. That's the math. That's the strategy. Then you're going to have the mass of the iceberg, most of it, like 80 to 90% underneath the water. That's the mindset and that's the emotions. So mindset is so key. One place that I always like to start with, with mindset is kind of like, okay, you're going to have your mindset around money as a construct, debt as a construct, you're going to have thoughts and beliefs about those things. That's important. When you hear people talk about, oh, your money mindset, your debt mindset, that's really what they're talking about is like, what are the thoughts and beliefs that you have about money as a construct? Those things are important. But in my opinion, what's even more important is something that I call your spending self-concept, which is how you see yourself either as a spender or how you see yourself in how you manage money, right? So for instance, it's like you might have a self-concept of like, oh, I'm just somebody who's always going to be in debt. Hmm. Debt is just like a normal part of life. Like I always overspend. I can't be trusted with money. I'm always going to blow it. So I'm just always going to be someone who has debt. And to your point, it's like someone could work to get out of debt and they might get themselves to that point. But then it's like, it goes back to like, okay, well, what's lying underneath the surface? That's always going to creep back up eventually over time. And if somebody has a self-concept of like, 
I'm a spender. I'm a shopper. I'm a, I'm a splurger. I can't be trusted. I'm just somebody who's always going to be in debt. That will always manifest itself and come back up to the surface. Yeah. I, I feel like this goes a lot to Jill and I, our backgrounds in fitness, and I found this correlation. It's same with weight loss, right? People are like, I'm always yeah. going to be overweight. My family's fat. This is just who we are. And it's just, if you have this idea of that's who you are and you can't change it, then you're not going to change it. You're not going to even try to do some of the steps no. that would get you out of that because you've already made up your mind. Yeah. I mean, I've had clients come to me and tell me before, like, I remember this so specifically for some reason, this just really sticks in my mind. I had a client one time tell me, shopping is just a part of my DNA. Like my mom was a shopper and my grandma was a shopper. And I'm like, I, seriously. And I'm like, uh, I don't think it is. Right? <laughs> it's literally yeah. not genetic. Your yeah. 23 me report has like a little I, shopping section. Exactly. Exactly. It's like, here's your origin and you're also a shopper. Yeah. But I just remember that so distinctly because she was, I mean, and when she was telling me that you could tell that she, she like felt very she strongly. It. She really believed that yeah. about herself. And so it was just like, no, you don't understand. Like, this is just, this is just a part of my DNA. And I'm like, I really, I really don't, don't think that it is. But again, that's just kind of like the limiting beliefs that we get ourselves into, because I I know you guys, it's your, your identity that you hold about yourself is so huge. And I know you guys probably see this, you know, in the fitness world, it's the same with money, but just the way that our brains are wired to work, it's like whatever you believe that's what your brain is going to be living into and perpetuating because your brain wants to be efficient and it wants to do things that are easy. And so going along with the things that it already believes, like that's the easy and efficient thing to do. To keep doing. So yeah. 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 What is your doing it? And Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. One, one more thing I was going to say is just like what you said about if you believe it to be true, it's what you'll do. I will say this is that, with spending specifically, there's different parts and components of money, but I feel like when it comes to the spending piece of money, we think of spending kind of how we think about breathing in that we think like, oh, every human being comes into the world and just inherently knows how to breathe. Like no one has to teach you how to breathe. You just breathe. And that's how we think about spending. We think this is just something that I should know how to do. And I'm not good at it. So therefore, that must mean that I'm just inherently bad at this when spending is actually a skill. Like it's just like driving a car. It's something that you actually have to learn how to do. And I think with certain parts of money, we get that and we understand that, like with investing, so to speak. I don't really think a lot of us think like, oh, I should just know how to invest. Investing is just something that I should know how to do. Like we all understand, no, if I want to start investing... I'm going to have to go out and learn how to do that. I'm going to have to read a book or listen to a podcast or hire an advisor or something like that. But with spending, we're like, you just spend, (laughs) you just do it. Like there's no skill behind it. That's how we think about it. And so because of that, I think that's why it's so easy to fall into this. Like, well, I'm just not good at it. Mm -hmm. Right. Because this is just something that I should be good at and that I should know how to do. And I'm not. So I just must be one of those people that was just born not being good with money. And it just doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. I love this so much. You know, we we talked about it not being obviously genetic. Do you think that there is a component, and I'm curious about your own story, did you grow up with spending being um, exemplified in a certain way by your parents? You know, we talk about money mindset. A lot of times the, Mm -hmm. the money sort of mindset we have is something we've seen from people we grew up with or adults or whatever. Mm -hmm. Was that the case for you? And do you feel like that plays a huge role? Like what we see our parents doing or how they interact with money? Does that affect us? Oh, absolutely. 100%. Right. I think it's like this balance of recognizing that like, yes, absolutely. Your past plays a huge part in like how you're going to see and manage money as an adult, but it also doesn't have to be a prison that you keep yourself in. If it's a background and a past and a history that doesn't serve you for me, I mean, I had parents that I saw, I grew up in a very middle-class household. I always saw my parents struggling financially. My parents had to like refinance their house, I think like three times. My parents have lived in their house for 50 years and it's still not paid off um, because they've had to refinance it so many times just to like 
be able to buy groceries and not lose the house. And even when I, you know, was like 14, 15 and I started working, you know, they instilled in me like go out, work, make money. But even when I was doing that, there was no direction of, okay, we're going to save a little bit. We're going to um, kind of put some of this aside. It was just like, you're making your own money now. You can do what you want with it, which as like a 15 year old. I was like, okay. <laughs> so, I mean, of course, I just went out and and spent it. I mean, it was just like make money, spend money, make money, spend money. And so coming into adulthood, realizing like, okay, yes, your past definitely 100% plays a part in it, but it's one kind of uncovering what that is and two, like deciding does this help me or does it not? Because the truth is, is like some people do have backgrounds. They have people that raise them that did teach them a lot about money and was very helpful to them. And so it's like, okay, like I like this, this is helping me, this is serving me. And others of us didn't. Um, I have a lot of examples that I see with my clients about like their past with money that I can go into if you want. But I mean, just to answer the first question, 100%, your past will definitely impact how you view money as an adult. Are there some mindsets that you see with your clients more often than others when it comes to spending? For instance, something I would notice is sometimes spender, there'd be some people who spend because they deserve it, right? Mm. Like they're like, well, I deserve this, so I'm going to buy it or some kind of justifications. Or are there other people who spend for, I don't know, completely other reasons? Like, are you seeing patterns in maybe one or two or three different types of people who have the same issue, but it's for different psychological reasons. Yeah, totally. Like I'll take your one where you said, you know, I, I deserve it. So one that I see a lot, it's kind of comes from two totally different backgrounds. One background, like just to keep this on the, on the past that we were talking about, one background is like, if you grew up in a household when you were younger, or you had caregivers that were extremely frugal And as a child, you were told no a lot. There were a lot of things where it's like, we can't have that. We can't afford that. Certain things were just silly or frivolous to spend money on. When they become an adult, a lot of people think, oh, those children would turn out to be very frugal as well, which sometimes happens. But more often than not, there's almost kind of like a rejection of that lifestyle. And they find themselves in the mindset that you were talking about of like, well, I deserve this. Like I've been told no so much and so often that now that I'm an adult and I'm making my own money, I deserve, I finally deserve to like have the things that I want to have. But it it goes beyond reason, right? I mean, it goes just beyond like, I'm going to treat myself here and here and here. It's like, I'm going to spend all my money. And then the to the opposite of that, I also talked to a lot of people who were like, I was never told no as a child. I was given like whatever I wanted. And I'm using the word that they often use. They're like, I was, I was pretty spoiled, right? I was given whatever I wanted. I never really had to wait for anything. Then they get into being adults, making their own money. They were never told no as a child. So they struggle to tell themselves no as an adult. And they're still very much in the mindset of, I want this. I deserve it. Let me go treat myself. But again, it it kind of takes it farther, farther than you need to. So yeah, there's a lot of mindsets and a, a lot of us get there in a lot of different ways, but it all kind of comes from different backgrounds or it's just, it's, it's crazy kind of how you can get to the same place with different backgrounds. So yeah, I feel like it's, you could have the complete opposite, but still the same outcome. So mm-hmm. how do you get to start to tell yourself no. This is so hard. This is going to be my question too, because (laughs) if it's a dopamine hit, right? It's like this, it's so hard to not because it just, it feels so good, right? It's like any addiction. It's like, how do you get someone to see this as a major issue and then prioritize doing something different and finding joy or fulfillment or something else to take its place? Yeah. Yeah. So I'll give you two methods. And I feel like this really kind of depends on the person, right? Because what some experts will say to do is to go on what's called like a dopamine fast and just completely shut yourself off from the source of dopamine. 
I, I find that like when some people do that, it works well. And I find for other people, it's disastrous, right? Like it doesn't work. So I feel like for some people that's helpful to do like a 30 day detox from whatever the source of the dopamine is. And so you guys have probably heard about this, but it's, you know, it's something called like a no spend challenge where you go into a month and you just say, I'm only spending my money on essentials, like groceries, gas, things that I absolutely have to, I'm completely shutting myself off from this source of dopamine that I'm almost trying to kind of like wean myself off of. That's one approach that might work. Does it backfire? Again, I find it's kind of like 50, 50. Yeah. And a lot of times, like I, it's not that I'm not a fan of no spin challenges. I just think that when people do them, they don't really serve the purpose that they're supposed to. I think that there's like a right way to do a no spin challenge because I think, and I'm, again, there's, there's so many correlations between like money and food and fitness, but it's kind of like, if you're going to do that and you're going to cut yourself off from the source of the dopamine for an extended period of time. But yet the whole time you're just thinking about like, okay, 10 more days, seven more days until I can get back at it. And you're like the whole time you're like solely focused on what you're missing out on. Typically what I find is like, as soon as it's over, you're just right back at it. So my big disclaimer is, is like, if you're going to do a no spin challenge, really try to use that time to kind of like rediscover the richness and the beauty and the value of what you already have. Because for a lot of shoppers, it's like they have a closet filled with clothes. They have closets filled with stuff. They have bathroom sinks with products that they only use two times. And we get into this mindset of, I don't have anything to wear. Um, you know, it's like it, we we just get into that mindset of like, we forget what we actually have. And so I'm like, if you're going to do a no spin challenge, really use it as a time to kind of like rediscover all the value and the beauty that's already in your life. Like wearing clothes you already have, using products you already have, things like that. The other approach, which in my opinion is a little bit more balanced approach, is figure out ways to give yourself the dopamine without actually having to spend any money. So for me, um, like a method that I, that I teach the women in my community, I'll show it cause I keep it on my desk, um, all the time, but this is something I call an urge jar, but it's basically like, sorry, this is kind of hard to see in the little window, but it's basically, it's two little containers. So you can find just two containers that you have. And I actually have like little dollar bills in mine, but you just get two containers. You get a hundred trinkets of something. Don't go out and spend more money for this. <laughs> um, use Legos, use bobby pins, use stuff you already have. But put a hundred trinkets in a in one container. And every time that you see something that you want to buy, whether it's on a social media ad or you're just strolling the aisles of Target, jot it down and just give yourself 24 hours to kind of feel mm. the urge. And like I was saying, let your brain go back to that more prefrontal focus. Because like we talked about at the beginning, you're going to see something that you're going to want to buy. Your brain's going to go haywire. It's going to light up like a Christmas tree. And one of the best things that we can do is give ourselves time. I always say it sounds very simplistic, but honestly, just taking three deep breaths and like getting some oxygen to your brain can help calm things down more than you would imagine it would. And if you're out and you don't have your urge jar with you, which I understand doesn't happen 100% of the time, jot it down in your phone. I always jot down what it was that I was going to buy and how much I was going to spend. Mm. So, you know, coffee mug at Target for $8 that I had the urge to buy and I didn't buy. And then when you get home, you can move one trinket from one jar to the other. And the goal is to do that a hundred times. And in the beginning, it's going to be incredibly uncomfortable. Again, incredibly uncomfortable because you're in the beginning stages of trying to change a habit, right? But what the urge jar does is it's a visual representation of money that you would have spent, but you didn't. And it also just kind of gives you something to look forward to. Like it gives you kind of like the little hit of dopamine to be able to move a trinket, to log it. And then what I always like to do is I always like to just keep a track of that running amount. And once I get through every like 10 urges, I'll always say, okay, here's 10 urges. This totals up to, you know, 150 bucks. 
do I want to do something with that $150? Like maybe I want to take it and move it to savings. Maybe I want to put it towards debt. Maybe I want to um, just use it to actually buy something that would be a little bit more meaningful to me than just a bunch of little mm. kind of like dinky little trinkets. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I find that just like, I'm totally with you. It's like, once we start to get that dopamine, it's all we want and it's all we crave. So then the question becomes, well, how can I still give that to myself without spending any money? And I find gamifying it in a sense, like gamifying the spending, but also the saving helps. Like it's a good first step. And it's kind of like telling your brain, like not no, it's not no, but it's just not now. Mm, Yeah. Would you do the same thing with online shopping? Because you're talking about going to Target and going out and I never go out, but I will put shit in my cart and I leave it there and Amazon, it's fine. But if I go to another store and they've got their abandoned cart, they start emailing. They're like, Hey, you left this. And a lot of times I'm like, I wanted to leave it because I just wanted to just forget about it. But then after a few emails, I'm like, oh, maybe I still want this thing. So how do you do this for online? Because I think when you made the point at the beginning of the pandemic, I think probably I would assume a lot more people are doing quite a bit more online shopping and ordering. And how do we do this trinket thing when it's online? Yeah, you can definitely do it online. So, I mean, if you, if you see something, I know what a lot of women in my community do is they'll either do one of two things. They'll either add it into their cart, but they won't buy it. And to me, I'm like, that counts, right? Because even like adding it into your cart is going to give you a hit of dopamine, right? Because again, it's just about the anticipation of it. So it's like adding it into your cart, but not pulling the trigger on it and not buying it. If you resist the urge to do it, I'm like, that counts. So you can, you can do this online. You can do it in person. Like, like I said, I keep my urge jar at my desk because I'm just like you. Like I, I hardly go anywhere. (laughs) Like 80% of the shopping that I do is online, either like on my computer. I, I, I don't do a lot of shopping in person in a store. So you can absolutely do it online. I love this. And I love that you mentioned gamifying it. That really resonated with me. There's something that actually Danny and I did years ago and I, and I, this is how I sort of do it. I'm interested in your take on this. I call it proactive funding. So if I do want to buy something, I challenge myself to go and make that money. So for example, if I'm like, you know, um, like we just finished a launch and I was like, all right, I kind of gave myself like three tiers. I was like, okay, if we hit this amount of units, Mm. you know, I've sort of like earned the right to spend, you know, 200 bucks or whatever. Right. And then if we get to this level, then, then I can spend 500 bucks. And if we get to like our top goal, then, okay, then I have a thousand dollars. And for me that sort of, and I don't know if that's wrong or not, but for me, it's like this thing where I'm doing something to, and to deserve it, I guess, but it's money that I'm having to actively make versus just pulling out of mm-hmm. my savings or, or whatever. So do you recommend something like that or doing something where you like go and do something to make the money? Yeah, I love that. I mean, I think it's, I think anytime that you can get yourself motivated towards a financial goal, whether that's like, oh, I'm going to go out and make the money. I'm going to find the money from somewhere in terms of like making it, or it's like, if I can find the money in other ways, like I know what a lot of women in my community do who are more on like fixed incomes, who aren't really necessarily like in the entrepreneurial space, they'll go through and they'll say, okay, like, let me just go look through all of my subscriptions. Cause like, I haven't done this in two years and let me just figure out like, what am I still using? What am I not? what can I just go through my house? Like I'm fully convinced that every single person has at least a thousand dollars worth of stuff in their house (laughs) that they could truly like throw up on Facebook marketplace and sell that someone else would be willing to pay money for. So I, I mean, to me, I love that whether it's like, okay, how can I find a way to go make more money or what money can I find in just the stuff that I already have things that I'm already paying for that I'm not using stuff that I have that I could sell I love that. I mean, I think that that kind of, it it makes it fun, right? It kind of gives you a sense of like motivation and an end goal to work towards. Yeah. And it also doesn't feel like it's just like coming out of my pocket. You know, I'm like, what? I didn't Mm -hmm. really do anything to deserve this shopping spree, except that I like those clothes. But when I have to like wait and I, it's almost like the anticipation kind of builds and, and in that way, it doesn't feel as um, disruptive. You had mentioned earlier, like very beginning of the podcast, 
that you'll know when this is sort of out of control because it starts affecting other areas. And Danny kind of knows because she knows I spent a lot of money on clothes. So if I could have someone come to my house, look through my clothes and put them on Facebook Marketplace, that would be really great. Uh, but I don't believe yeah. that it's impacting my life at this point, at least. I don't feel like yeah. it's, you know, but how? what does that look like for someone? I may assume it, it looks like other addictions, but what does that look like for someone to go like, oh, I spend a lot but it's not a problem or I spend a lot and it's becoming a problem. Yeah. So I would say one, start looking at the things that you're buying, right? And really kind of assessing like, am I getting a lot of use and a lot of value out of the things that I'm buying, right? So here's kind of like a big a big no. indication and kind of like a big difference. Yeah. <laughs> the answer's no. <laughs> the answer's no. Okay. Well, um, so, okay. No, like for me, so, but I, I think this is, yeah, yeah, yeah keep going. No, no, yeah, kidding. I know. Right. So I think it's like, whenever you start evaluating the things that you're buying, it's kind of asking yourself, like, am I shopping and am I spending money solely for just like the entertainment of shopping? And I think like a big, like a good way to answer that question is when I'm shopping, am I more focused on just like the high of the buy? Like, am I more focused on just like the experience of shopping or I'm, or am I actually more focused on what I'm buying and the things that I'm buying? And I think it's kind of like what happens after the shopping is done, what happens after the shopping is over and the stuff actually like comes into your space, right? Are you getting a lot of use out of it? And I think clothes are like, clothes are kind of one of those things that it's like, it's clothes are a little different because it's just like, we don't like, we can't use them as much as saying like a face serum, like a face serum is something that like, you're going to probably use every single day versus like, if you have, you know, 10 different tops or 10 different sweaters or whatever, it's like, you're obviously not going to get daily use out of your clothes, but it's just kind of assessing like when I'm shopping, am I actually focused on what I'm buying? And I know that sounds kind of silly, but like a lot of the women that I talk to, they're not like, they kind of are just in the mindset of, I don't even care what I'm buying, like, I just want to buy something. Like I call it just being like in a spendy mood. Like you're just like, I'm feeling spendy. Like I just want to go out and buy something. I want to spend some money. It could be anything. It could be a top. It could be a face serum. It could be a new pair of shoes. Like it could be a, a piece of home decor. Like I don't even care what it is. I'm just feeling spendy. And when you, when you shop from that state, what you'll typically start to find is that you buy a lot of stuff that you don't get a lot of use out of, a lot of value out of. And then your spaces start to become really cluttered, really heavy. Another thing that I just kind of want to challenge everyone on, because I don't think that we even realize how much time we spend on it, but even just tracking for just a week, how much time do I actually spend on shopping across looking for deals, checking out the new arrivals pages, like scrolling on your favorite site to tracking your packages, to unboxing things, to returning things, right? It's like, are you buying a lot of things that ultimately you end up returning? Not because you don't like the product, right? I'm not saying that you should hold on to a product that you don't like, but it's like the type of returning that you do where it's like, after you get it, you're like, why did I buy this? Mm. Like, I, I don't even want this, right? Like, there's a difference between those two things. So it's even like tracking on a on a weekly basis. Like, how much time do I actually spend shop, shopping? When I have my clients do this, they're like shocked to figure out the number. They're like, I thought it would be like an hour. And it's like 15 hours. Wow. And it's just like, whoa. I'm a little So nervous. I'll stop there, but... <laughs> I'm a little nervous to track some of mine. Um, I have a question. I think this is something Jill and I have talked about, and I'm sure you've seen this. It's the law of attraction and the mm -hmm. abundance mindset. Yeah. And we see mm -hmm. people out there, and sometimes I, I think abundance mindset is amazing. And I also see sometimes where people use that as an excuse of, well, we just have to think abundant. So I'm going to buy this and I'll figure out how to do it later. So are there things in the space that you see like that, that drive you crazy or that are actually doing the opposite of what they're intending to do? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's like, I, I myself, like I love the law of attraction and manifesting and all that stuff. Like but to your point, I think that it gets really misconstrued when it comes to our spending habits. And so I talk sometimes about 
spending for your future self, but not against your future self. So I can just give you an example. So for instance, it's like somebody who has this vision of their future self driving like a certain car, right? They're like, well, the future version of me drives a Porsche. Therefore, I should just go out and get the Porsche now to to just go ahead and like manifest it and make that come true and that sort of thing. But the truth is, is like when you actually look at their financial situation, like they're really not in any position yet to be buying the Porsche. And it's like what you've done in that situation is you've honestly just kind of like shot yourself in the foot. I mean, yes, I know that you want to drive a Porsche and now you have a Porsche, but by making that decision almost like too early, like a little prematurely, you've kind of created this ripple effect into the future of like all of these other things that you also desire for yourself that now probably won't be possible because you did this too prematurely. So what I say is like, if you have a future vision of yourself, which I think is really good to do, like to to have the specifics about the type of life that you want to live in the future, it doesn't necessarily mean that you need to go out and get all of those things right now. The question shouldn't be like, how can I go out and get those things for me today, right? It's like, how do I go out and get the Porsche today? The question you should be asking is like, what steps can I make today? What choices can I be making with my money so that it does become not not only a financial possibility for me, but I have I have enough means to do it and it's something that I can afford, right? Like it's not going to put me in in debt. It's not going to put me like in a dire situation to where I'm having to sacrifice all of these things moving forward. And, you know, I, I think, you know, like trust, trust is such a big part of the manifestation process of like declaring what you want, but then also trusting that it will happen and it will be yours someday. But also I think it's like when you pull the trigger on it too, too prematurely, it, it's a big indication that like the trust isn't there. Mm. It's like, it's like you're forcing it. You know what I mean? It's like, it's not to say it's what I said earlier. It's like, it's not a no, it's just a not right now. Right. But we can start taking steps today to get us closer to that. But when you go out and you start spending against yourself Mm -hmm. to where it's going to start to harm you, it's like, that's like a big indication that you're not trusting, you're forcing it. And I think it just creates a lot of consequences down the road. So that's, that's one of the biggest ones for me. And like the manifesting law of attraction, like I should, it's like, that doesn't mean you should go out and dig yourself into a hole today and like put yourself in a situation that like yourself a year from now or three or five years from now is going to be like, why did I do that? Right. That also kind of answered the question I was going to have for you, which is when you're talking about overspending as a marketer and marketing your products, how do you get people to spend and, and spend money with you? Because I, one of the things I found when I was helping people get out of debt, they're like, well, I don't want to spend money on this course because I need to get out of debt. And mm-hmm. I'm like, well, you need to spend the money to get. And I had that same thing. One of my mentors yeah. had a, had a, you know, $400 thing. That was the first time I invested. And I knew it was all about getting out of debt. And I'm like, shoot, I have to put this on my credit card in order to go to the event to learn what I needed to do, is this the stupidest thing I ever did by spending money? But I think you kind of answered the question of, is this hurting your future self or, or harming? But I don't know if you have any more to add to that. Yeah. I mean, trust me, like it's, it's by far the biggest piece of criticism I get. Right. And I understand like the, the irony is not lost on me. People are (laughs) like, you're, you're an overspending coach and I have to, I have to pay you money to help me stop spending money. Like I, like on the surface, I totally see the the irony of it, right? Um, but typically what I find, like, yeah, a lot of my clients are in debt. So when they come to me, they're like, yeah, I don't have the money for this. Like I might have to put this on a credit card. But for me, like the cost to start working with me is $49. So I'm like, so I'm like, I feel like most people who come to me and, you know, it's like $49 is like the average cost of one Amazon order. So I'm sure. like, look, if you're if you're making one Amazon order, if you can, if you can save yourself like one late fee a month, one overdraft fee a month, like you're going to be able to find the money like fairly quickly to be able to cover this and and to pay for this. But I, I totally understand and kind of like see that like some people are like, look, I just don't have the money. And I also have a lot of women who they make great money, right? Like very highly educated doctors, lawyers, entrepreneurs, like 
they definitely don't have a problem with their income. It's just a matter of like, I have a lot of money coming in, but it's just, it's all going out. It's almost kind of like quicksand, like hits the account and goes right back out. So sometimes it's like, yeah, I just don't have the money for this. And oftentimes I'm like, can you find $49? And oftentimes they're like, yeah. But investing with you is, it's a, it, correct me if I'm wrong. It sounds like it's, it would be a different way of spending. It doesn't sound like a dopamine hit. It doesn't sound like an impulse purchase, right? Mm. It doesn't sound like I just need to buy something. I'm going to buy this course, (laughs) you know, like, (laughs) you know, most people are buying the tchotchkes at Target or something on Instagram ad, you know, like it sounds like that's more. So this is, this is more of an investment, obviously. And I'm sure you use that language and you kind of say like, Hey, you're investing in your future self so that you, you know, cause it sounds like it's completely different than maybe what you're helping people with the kind of Yeah. And and I, Totally. And I always say too, I'm like, look, like I try to make it as affordable as possible for people. Cause like for me, I, I have a membership, right? So it's like you pay every single month, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like a membership model. So you come in and you pay every single month the same amount and you can stay as long as you want, or you can come in and leave as soon as you want to. But for me, I always say like, look, if you're not saving yourself at least like four to five times over on a monthly basis, like I'm not really doing doing my job. Right. And I mean, part of that too, like, I'll just say this, like I, I price it low to make it, to, to make it accessible to people, but also just to make it kind of like a no brainer for people. Cause I'm like, look, I don't, I don't want you to have to like him and haw over like, can I do this? Can I afford it? It's just like, I just want to make it to where it's like a no brainer to get in. And once you're in, you should be making it over at least four to five times over every single month. But yeah, you're absolutely right. It is an investment in yourself. And I'm like, look, like you can either spend the money here. And this is what I always say to my clients. I'm like, look, if we're all being honest with each other, this money is going to get spent <laughs> at like at, at the rate we're going here. Like, it's not like you're going to take this money and like put pay it in a savings card. account. <laughs> pay <laughs> down like, your credit card. <laughs> like, let's all be honest with each other here. Right. So I'm like, the money's going to get spent. It's it really well just a question on what. <laughs> Might as well go to me. No, but I'm like, it's just, it's just a question of like, what, right? Like, what do you want to spend the money on? But ultimately I'm like, that's your choice. And the truth is, is like some people come to me and they're, they're not ready. And I hear this all the time. Like I hear it, like, I'm scared. Like I'm scared to change. Like I, there's such a huge part of me that wants to change, but also at the same time, like I'm scared, like I'm, I'm scared to change. Like I'm scared what my life, like I had a client say this to me one time. She's like, I'm scared what my life is going to look like Mm. without shopping and without always being able to like go out Mm. and like buy the newest thing. She's like, I'm scared. I'm just not going to be relevant anymore if I can't Mm. do that. So part of it's like, I'm ready. And then there's just this, this other part of you that's just as equally strong. That's like, I'm terrified. Yeah, that's real. My, my brother's here in town this weekend and he was talking about his new workout regimen. And he's like, you know, my blood pressure's high and I'm working out. And he's like, but the truth is my diet's crap. And then he said, but I just really don't want to change it. (laughs) And I think there's parts of us that we have these habits or bad habits and we know they're hurting us, but we're just like, I'm not ready yet to give it up. Like I don't, because for whatever reason, it feels like changing or getting rid of that will be more painful. And that makes sense if it's some, if it's part of someone's identity, maybe they're, they always have the newest thing, but they're always dressed the cutest and that's where they get their sense of affirmation. Mm. So maybe it's a part of figuring out how else you can get your affirmation or feel good. And I don't know about the case of my brother with food, cause that's a tricky one too, but mm-hmm. it all goes back to like really being deeply entrenched in psychology and not just numbers. I think it's, I think Dave Ramsey said if debt was just about math, then people wouldn't have a problem. But it's like it's mm-hmm. about psychology, not the math. You mentioned yeah. about mindset and then you also mentioned about emotions. I don't know that mm-hmm. we hit on that emotions part. Mm. Yeah. What was that about? Yeah. yeah no, the the emotional part is huge. And th- this is the part that's like very closely associated to just any other kind of like buffering or vices that we have, whether it's food or alcohol or social media. But it's just kind of this problem that I think that a lot of us have of like, we don't know how to actually feel and experience our emotions. And I also think with, well, I, I actually think this is true for a lot of things, but I think that the overarching message that gets sent out is that external things like shopping and buying and acquiring are going to be able to solve and cure 
like internal emotional issues that we have or internal voids that we have. And the thing that gets really tricky about like shopping and emotions is that we think that it's going to solve the problem. Like we think that it's going to solve the emotional problem because that is literally the messaging that all of us have been just it's just been rammed down our throats our entire lives. Like, and that's what advertising is. A lot of people think, oh, advertising is about trying to sell me a product. But the truth is, is like advertising is about trying to sell you an emotion. It's about trying to sell you the promise of an emotional experience that the advertise that the advertiser is telling you, you're only going to get to feel the way that you want to feel until you have my product, until you buy my thing. And the truth is, is that like emotions are the fuel, feelings are the fuel that drive everything we do. They drive everything that we want and desire. Ultimately, all of us are out here just trying to feel a little bit better. And so when we're constantly being bombarded with these messages of you're inadequate unless you have my thing, you're left out unless you have my thing, you're not productive, you're not skinny enough, you're not pretty enough unless you have my thing. On the surface level, it's about the product, but really underneath that, it's all about the feeling and all about the emotion. And so part of this, like the way that I approach the emotional part is kind of two parts of it. It's like one, deconstructing, I call them money thought errors, but like deconstructing all of the messages that we have all absorbed our entire lives that really when we just take some time to like slow down and really think about it, we're like, wait, that's not actually true. Like, it's not actually true that I'm only going to be complete or worthy or productive or skinny enough or successful enough unless I have this product. Like, it's almost kind of getting to the realization of that. And I think a really helpful place to start with that is going through and almost just kind of like identifying and making a list of what were all the things that I bought that I almost kind of like told myself, okay, this is it. This is a mindset that I feel like a lot of people get in. It's like, I'll be happy when I can have this one last thing. Mm. And that's it. That's the last thing I'm ever going to want. Like, once I have this thing, I'll never want anything else ever again. But then it's like, we get the thing. We get the rush. It feels super exciting for a couple days, maybe a couple weeks if it's a bigger ticket item. And then we always just wind up back to exactly where we started of just like, okay, but now it's this thing. Now it's Mm. this thing. And what happens is like a lot of us don't slow down long enough to realize like, wait a second, maybe it's not actually the product's job to do that for me or to give that to me. We just think that the fault lies with the product. We're like, oh, no, 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 that just wasn't it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that that just wasn't it. It wasn't the right thing. It wasn't the right product. It wasn't the right program or system or whatever. I know you guys probably see this a ton in the fitness world. So it's got to be this thing now. And it's just this hamster wheel that we constantly get ourselves on because we are trying to fill emotional voids with things in our external world. And it's never it's never going to work. Like, it's just a hamster wheel you're going to get yourself on and you won't get yourself off unless you elect to get off. Mm. And so there's that piece of it. And then there's also kind of like the other piece of it of learning the skill to actually feel your feelings and feel your emotions. Like I feel I'm 34. I feel like I'm just now learning how to do this because I feel like I was grown up told like, don't be emotional. Don't show your emotions. Don't exhibit any type of negative emotion. Negative emotion is bad. And so when I would feel those negative emotions, like, of course, I would try to solve for them immediately And that was a big reason why I shopped so much in my 20s. Like, I didn't touch on this part of my story, but that year, it was a hard year for me, right? Like, I didn't handle the transition from college to real world well. I had had, like, four years of freedom in college, and I moved back in with my parents. Me and my college boyfriend broke up. I was upset about that. I hated my job. I absolutely hated it. Like, I hated going there every day. I was experiencing so much negative emotion on a daily basis, and I didn't have healthy tools to cope with that. And shopping became my crutch. Mm. Shopping became my emotional crutch and my coping mechanism. It was just like the one like light at the end of my tunnel, like every single day of like, okay, I've just got to make it to lunch and then I can go up to the mall. 
So it's kind of like deconstructing all of this like messaging around what products can and will do for us emotionally, which they won't. But then also like just learning the skill of feeling your feelings, which to me, I'm like, that's the secret. Because once you learn how to do that, it will touch every area of your life. Mm. It will touch your money. It will touch your health. It will touch your relationships. Like Mm -hmm. it's game changing. Danny and I talk a lot about in this podcast, um, like food, because obviously both of us came from a very like strict dieting Mm -hmm. background. We were competitors and things like that. And so we've talked a lot about what you said, if I just make it to lunch and I know I used to have things like cheat days, right? Cheat meals. If I can just make it to Saturday and then it was an all out binge fest. Right. And so it was this like, it was feast and famine all the time. Like if I can just make it to here and then I can have whatever I want. And we're like, I love that you called it a hamster wheel because that is, it, it becomes this, like you said, crutch. And you mentioned social media earlier, and I think this is really interesting, Mm -hmm. especially around my sort of like the thing that I really spend the most money on is clothes. And so Mm -hmm. when you look at it like, okay, I'm going to like show my new outfit on social media, and then you get affirmation. That's so cute. Where'd you get it? Right? Oh my God, you're like in a beautiful area. You're at a nice restaurant. And it does give this perception. And then also you get the affirmation. So you're like, okay, wore that once. Yeah. Social media saw it. Can't buy, wear that ever again, right? And you get into this mm-hmm. really weird like approval-seeking sort of like outwardly needing an affirmation about how you look or it could be anything. It could be your, your hairstyle, right? It could be anything. Mm-hmm. But you know, I just recognize that. And so how do you help people? Is it just like don't look at social media or find other ways to, to get that affirmation or to get that approval that doesn't have to do with you actually buying things in order to show those off? I mean, maybe this is a more of a generalization woman's issue. Maybe for a man, it's like nice car, right? Private jet, yeah. whatever. But it's definitely, it can definitely feel like a trap because of social media as well. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a, that's a great question. So I kind of have like a list, not a long list, but a list of like four to five questions that I give the women in my community to kind of like, okay, before we go out and we buy something, whether it's a piece of clothing or something else, kind of go through and ask yourself one of these um, five questions. But one of the questions on the list that I think goes with what you're saying is if no one else could see this, If no one else, like if I couldn't snap a picture of this and put it on social media, if this purchase was solely for me, like if I was the only one that ever got to see this and enjoy it, would I still want it? And would I still buy it? Because I want to make this very clear. Like there's nothing wrong. Like I know, like there's nothing wrong with like, there's nothing wrong with buying clothes. There's nothing wrong with, you know, spending money in a way that's going to make yourself feel confident, right? Like there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But I think that so much of the money that we spend, like it's for us, but it's actually for other people. It's to almost like buy like exactly what you said, like the Mm -hmm. eyeballs, the praise, the admiration of other people. But I think like the detriment of that is that's how we get ourselves into situations where when all of our spending is for like really it's for other people, we start looking at our closets and looking at our homes and looking at our routines or whatever. And we're just like, None of this actually feels truly like me. I kind of like some of it, but a lot of this I I don't even like. Like, I'm not really even sure why I got this or why I bought this. And so, like, with let's just stick with the clothes example. There's nothing wrong with buying clothes, but it's kind of really tapping into like, am I buying this because I love this, because Mm -hmm. I like it, because this actually truly feels like me, and I am going to enjoy wearing it. I'm going to get value out of it. I'm going to get use out of it, even if no one sees it, even if no one gives me like praise and admiration and, oh my gosh, that's so cute. Where'd you get it? Like, even if I get none of that from anybody, would I still be buying this thing? And you can do that with anything, right? Like I just, I just helped a client who wanted to, um, she wanted to spend a lot of money to, kind of do her front porch like for Halloween and she was going to go out and spend like all this money and she kind of made a comment like well I have to because all my neighbors are doing it Mm -hmm. and you know we're just we're going to be the only house in the neighborhood who doesn't this 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 and this and I was just like well are you doing it for them are you doing it for you because it's okay if you're doing it for you but I'm like if none of their opinions mattered or whatever like would you would you even care like is this something that you would even be doing and she was like I mean no honestly Right. So I think it's just tapping into that. That one question can save you from making a lot of purchases that are more about other people and a lot less about you. Love it. 
That's that's really huge. So good. I can see a lot of things I would not <laughs> say. Um, yeah. <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah, there are. There are. That one has stopped. That, that one question has probably saved me thousands yeah. of dollars yeah. over the course of a couple of years. So, and like I said, it doesn't mean that you can't buy it, but it's just like, who is this really for? Is this yeah. really for me or is this really for other people? And that's how you actually get like value and enjoyment out of the things that you buy. Like when you actually start to realize like, oh, I actually really bought this because this was a trend. I bought this because of FOMO. I bought this because I didn't want to be left out. Those are the things that you typically buy and you're like, I didn't really even use Mm -hmm. this. Like it was a trend I got sucked into versus like, okay, this is truly for me. Those are the things that you're going to get the most value out of and will make you the happiest over the long term. Yeah. I recently moved and I'm sure you know this. Every time you move, you got to go through all of your shit. And then you're like, why? (laughs) Where did Mm -hmm. all this come from? Mm -hmm. Um, Well, Paige, this has been really amazing and helpful and also is making me think about a lot of my purchases and spending. (laughs) You mentioned you you have a membership site. So how do people work with you and how do they find you? Yeah. So on social media, my handles, Instagram and TikTok are where I'm most active. My handle is at overcoming underscore overspending. I also have a podcast that's called the money love podcast. So if you're just looking for like a money specific podcast that kind of dives into a lot of things that we talked about today, like a lot of the psychology and emotional components of money, um, you can start. That's another great free place to start. And then my membership, you can go to overcomingoverspending.com. That'll have all the details. But yeah, I mean, you come in, you can stay as long as you want. We meet 12 times every single month. So wow. we're meeting like two to three times every single week on Zoom. Uh, I love to be in there just like helping the women in my community, giving them coaching. You also get like my entire process. So like that's the part that you kind of do that's kind of like self-paced. You kind of just do on your own time. And then you have all of the coaching to kind of complement all of that, to kind of bring it in and get help and support along the way. So that's amazing. And overcomingoverspending.com. I love it. Well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your knowledge and you guys go find Paige's stuff at overcomingoverspending.com and we'll see you on the next episode. Thank you so much, Paige. You're the best. Appreciate you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. All right. Bye guys. Bye.